Happy fall, everyone, and welcome to Honey Bee, my teacher. I trust you're all keeping dry and warm, depending on where you live, of course. We've been pretty dry and chilly here in the Pacific Northwest, so the process of overwintering the honeybees obviously has begun. Um, I want to thank, thank um, especially now, Jay and Smoke and Jays, for your dedication to important matters such as our pollinators and our community's opportunity to make a real difference, even in the smallest sense. Um, the whole world needs more people like you, and I'm grateful for that, so thank you. Now, as is always the case, once you think you have a solid plan, you can count on something to interrupt or shake things up completely. For me this year, it is the weather. I was actually uh, planning for a nice fall season. Got a little romantic with the temperatures going down in a nice sweater weather and bonfire kind of fashion. Pretty excited about this nice easy fall, and I don't know why I anticipated such a normal and predictable season because Gaia, Mother Nature herself, dealt a different deck of cards. Just like the unpredictability of the honeybee, so is the weather. So there is no nice fall season this year. Not even a teaser. Can you believe that? Well, actually, we probably can here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we did have a few days of fall and then boom, 27 degree mornings already. And I'm, and I'm not complaining. I was caught a little off guard, which interrupted my beekeeping schedule a little. And I'm a little bit of a scheduler. I like things to be right there on time. So interruption in my life. And I wanted more time with them too before they hunkered down for the winter chill. Uh, now though, instead I'm preparing and overwintering early and I'm waiting impatiently for spring to arrive already. This of course requires patience, a forced patience, so I will plan to wait. Now, patience is a trait I'm working on. I am forced to develop this trait with my honeybees. My queen, along with her new maidens, uh, well, all of my queens actually, are great assets to this practice in patience. They work diligently day in and day out to accomplish what needs to be done to ensure the viability of the colony. They don't rush anything. Every task has a process and a time frame, and they simply keep to task until their role changes, offering them a new position in the colony. So I, myself, am practicing patience, and in the meantime, I am planning for spring. Loosely, of course, because like I said, the weather is unpredictable, just like the honeybee. And I'm going to explore the lessons I learned this year. So in the meantime, what I've done is I've taken steps to get the hives fed both sugar syrup and pollen. So, um, and that, of course, is where we're talking about the honeybee's progression into spring and we're going to overwinter them. And what we're gonna do is after this little short break, we're going to get into some of the thought processes and methodologies of that and talk about how we overwinter the bees. All right, back to you, Jay. Honey Be My Teacher is brought to you by Smokin' Jays and SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. Just for you, there is a coupon code to save 15% off at SmokinJays.com. It's Honey! So enter Honey at checkout at SmokinJays.com and receive 15% off your order. And all orders over $100 ship for free at SmokinJays.com. 
All right, back to the show. Overwintering the bees. Okay, there are so many schools of thought out there regarding overwintering practices, and I was a little overwhelmed this year, to be perfectly honest. So I'm winging it. Um, That's just where it's going to go. The principles are the same, which is the important thing to remember, and they are in place. But the rest I have to navigate using my knowledge of the landscape and the weather where I live. Uh, Planning for winter seems daunting at times. I know this. Um, It can be overwhelming when you think there are so many things to do. But if you stick to the basic principles and build on from there, you can probably navigate overwintering pretty easily. Now, if you anticipate every weather-related possibility for your demographic area, you should feel fairly at ease until the temperatures rise again, bringing out a brand new colony of honeybees. A new season of pollen, nectar, and honey will be your reward, so be prepared for that, not to mention just the fulfillment of advocating for the pollinators as well. Now, winter is a waiting game, and as a novice beekeeper, still, All I can say is check off your list and hope for the best. If you treated for the varroa mites, which should have been done already, and you let the bees make enough honey, you should be set for winter. And yes, there are other actions you're going to need to take, but these two are the most critical to your colony's survival. You want to have all your winter materials ready, and you should be ensuring the bees have enough honey or you're supplementing them to make enough through the wintertime. Now, what I've done um, to begin with is I had to put mouse guards on the entrance of each hive. And a mouse guard is nothing more than an L-shaped perforated piece of metal with small holes drilled into it, allowing the honeybees to come and go, but it will not let a mouse get into the bottom. And the reason you want to avoid that is we want to prevent them from entering and nesting. Mice are famous for sneaking into the bottom of the hive and using it for warmth. But they will also feed off the hive and destroy the wax on the frames. So the bees have no resources to share with the mice. We want to make sure we are using mouse guards to block the entrance. Keep those critters away, okay? Now, mice cannot be allowed to inhabit the bottom of the hive ever for any reason. So keep that entrance blocked until temperatures. You want to wait till they're about 40 degrees or higher consistently before you take that off. That way, the mice aren't seeking a warmer place to hide. I already had, I already had one hive that had been completely emptied, and I left the frames out there. And I left it for the honeybees to kind of rob out the honey, what was left. And um, sure enough, I had a mouse and a nest in there and she'd already populated it with her young. So that's, I mean, it it was really fast. It happened in less than a week. So let's really pay attention and make sure you get those. Those guards should already be on. If not, you might want to pop your hive open and check the bottom board and make sure you don't have one in there before you put a guard on. You don't want to trap them inside because then you're really going to have trouble with them rotting and you'll lose your hive anyway. Now, keeping the bees dry during winter is a huge challenge in the Pacific Northwest. We have very wet seasons, and even when we have snow, which isn't super common for us to have a lot of snow, we tend to have a ton of rain. And like, you know, we don't tan, we rust. Therefore, we want to make remember that. And since what we have around us, our vehicles and everything else gets a little damp and soggy, the honeybees do too. So we want to keep them dry. And the reason they get much wetter than we do is honeybees fan the inside of the hive to generate heat in a cluster, and it creates condensation because they're keeping that cluster warm. They're all together in a ball, and they're generating this heat, and they do that by running their wings so fast that they actually create friction, which causes that heat. Well, it also creates condensation in the hive because of the temperature differentiation between that and the moisture and the cold outside. And our weather is super soggy, so I use moisture quilts, 
which is a tool you can use. And it's used by a lot of beekeepers to keep the moisture off the bees. Because if too much condensation occurs, it will virtually rain on the bees and it will kill them. And if they survive that, that little bit of rain on them, in, in addition to a freezing temperature, you're going to freeze your bees out and they will die in a state frozen right there in the cell where they were at. So we don't want to do that. So I will be using moisture quilts to protect my hives. And to make my moisture quilts, what I did is I used shallow super. And that is the compartment we defined. When we talk about a beehive, we have a deep brood box, which is the big part of the hive. And then we have the medium size. And then we have what's called a super. And that's where we hang. It's like a five inch deep, six inch deep frame that puts our honey on it. Well, what you do is you pull all of the frames out of that and you use the box itself. And you're going to staple a hardware cloth to the bottom of it, enough to hold shavings without them falling through to the hive. Hardware cloth is nothing more than screen. <laughs> you can go to any hardware store. It's called hardware cloth there too, but you want to make sure it's like window screen, but you put, you want a little bit open, the opening to be a little bit bigger than the fine window screen. You don't want to keep the bees away from all of it. You just want to keep it dry. That's going to pick up that moisture they generate and keep it dry. You'll check your shavings, switch them out for drier shavings, maybe twice during the, the winter season. So you'll just make sure excess moisture is off of the hives. And then they're great as long as you don't let them get too wet and moldy. They're a great alternative to uh, fancy boards that are you can buy online or locally. They can be very expensive. This is just a simple, inexpensive, and productive method to keep your bees dry. Now, I also will be wrapping my hives along with uh, setting some straw bales below them to minimize the amount of draft below the bench where they are set. They sit on a bench because we don't want raccoons banging on the hives and driving out the bees. They'll actually catch the bees in midair and eat them. <laughs> so we want to keep them away as well. So that creates an area where ventilation can travel too quickly under the hive, depending on where you are. I live on a ridge with prevailing wind. That means that that wind comes up the hill and just swirls around that hive and that whole contraption gets very, very cold. So I have to wrap my hives. People in more valley areas or lower land or fields up against some trees don't have that problem. So you shouldn't have to wrap your hives, but I will. And so it's not always necessary in the Pacific Northwest, but because of where I'm located and how close I am to the river, that cold, wet air does travel up. It necessitates extra protection from those wet, cold temperatures that roll up the hillside into my colonies. Now, if your bees are in a location where there is a windbreak, remember, you don't have to wrap your hives, but you should be putting a moisture barrier on top because the moisture is still going to be an issue, all right? And there are a few materials beekeepers do use. Some use cloth barriers while others use pieces of styrofoam and moisture quilts to pull the moisture up through the styrofoam. Um, they put a hole in it so there's a ventilation gap where the inner cover goes, which is the flat surface um, when you take the outside cover off the hive where you can kind of peek in. It's a long oval shape. You can see what your bees are doing if they're busy. Uh, people use a reflective insulating bubble wrap used for wrapping hot water heaters. They cut that to fit the top and set that in there. And that can be used as well to keep that uh, dry and warm at the same time. But the key is always knowing what's best for your bees based on your climate and your wind patterns. You have to be educated about where you're at and pay attention. You have to be more attentive to what your surroundings are like in the weather for your bees. That way you know what method to use. And there are different methods all over YouTube. That's where I'm usually sourcing from experienced beekeepers what they're using. Otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't even know myself. So as a, a beginning beekeeper, there's nothing wrong and no shame in getting on YouTube and looking for a resourceful beekeeper. Um, and of course, that's just one thing that we want to remember is weather. 
pay attention to weather. It's important that you have to still be educated to manage your hives. You can't just be a beekeeper. And when I say wing it, I don't mean that I'm just going to go with the flow and do my own thing. I'm winging it as far as all the little bitty extras because of the different methodologies and schools of thought out there. We have to still be educated and you have to always be learning more about your bees. Okay, guys? So what I want to do is take a really quick commercial break again. And after that, we're going to talk a little bit more about anticipation of honeybees and springtime and some things we're going to do to make that successful. And then we're going to talk to you guys and see if we have anybody that has a question for us. Okay, back to you. Thank you for listening to the Honey Be My Teacher podcast. Would you like to email the show? After all, it's all about growing our community. You can email Patty at bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. That's B-E-E, myhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. You can also check out Patty's blog at honeybemyteacher.com. All right, back to the show. I'm so looking forward to greeting my honeybees come springtime. I can't wait. Um, this year's honey was different from last year's. I actually purchased my hives late this season, so my bees unfortunately missed out on the maple flow, so my honey was vastly different, <laughs> but it was still quite delicious. Um, I will finish overwintering them and plan for spring now. The, all I have left to do is wrap the hives and pull the sugar syrup feeders that are out now and put the dry sugar in. So I want them to have the best opportunity for success, obviously. And in the meantime, I'm going to take this winter time and I'm going to plan my gardens, wildflowers, and I'm gonna plan the trees that I have researched. I, um, as I said earlier, I'm going to be increasing my flower gardens and my planting by around 40% for next spring. And I'll be planting some bee-friendly trees this time. I really like the linden tree. It's a tree that is accessible locally and the bees love it. So a few of those will definitely be a part of my landscaping plan. What I read about the linden tree is this particular tree can also attract swarms. And that's an opportunity for me to put a swarm trap in. I have not been successful catching any feral swarms this year or since I started. So this has gotten me excited to go and catch a feral colony of my own. And since I haven't had any success, this will give me something to do and be determined to get one in 2020 is a new goal. So this is something that I'm pretty excited about. And of course, the honey will change in flavor. You can't expect the same flavored honey year in and year out. Different plants due to weather bloom at different times, and some plants come up that you may not have seen for years because there might be a weather pattern change. And when that flower comes up, you're going to have a different flavor added to your honey anyway. So I anticipate something new each time, which makes my honey always an adventure. And that'll always change based on what's growing, obviously. And it's exciting too, you know, getting to taste the different varieties of honey. Even in the same season, I'll have different flavored honey from the beginning to the end. Usually two distinct flavors, definitely. Last year, I had wildflower and blackberry. This year, I plan to have maple flow in mine. So I'm excited to see what that gives me. So having these hives from the beginning of spring will definitely provide more than one nectar flow. And that'll create a definite variety of honey flavors throughout the season, which we'll get to talk about in other podcasts. You know, what an adventure for the taste buds, you know. I can't wait. A lot of fun and a lot of good flavor. Not to mention how healthy it is. So while my ladies are cozy and warm inside, 
I'm going to be reflecting on my lessons from the honeybees this year, and naturally, I'm going to be sharing them with you throughout the winter season. So we're going to keep warm together and talk about how much they have to teach us, not to mention how much they have to give us. You know, the learning never does stop, and we still have a lot to talk about. So let's keep talking. Oh, Patty, what a what a great episode. Thanks, Jay. And I guess I'm sorry for your uh, impromptu... Uh, what, what would you what would you call it? Your reactive measures, <laughs> the 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 planning got thrown out the window. You are sure a planner, did. aren't you? I am. Yes, I like to allocate my time because it's busy. <laughs> so maybe maybe this is what the bees are offering you is uh, is a more go with the flow, reactive, loose approach to things versus yes. your your stringent, planned life that you want. I think uh, yeah, because what it's teaching me too is that. I can't control everything. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one control freak to another. It's an important uh, thing to keep in mind. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, Okay. I've got, I've got a couple questions. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple from me, and then we've got a comment from a listener and a question from a listener. Okay. Um, First off, do you have a, I want to see your wrapped hives. Okay. Yeah. So, so whether that's today, tomorrow, we're going to include that in the show notes. Sure. A picture of your wrapped hives. I yeah. want to see that because I'm, tr- I'm having trouble picturing it in my head. I, I almost imagine it's like a construction project with multiple platforms. I mean, you got the <laughs> hay bales and then a platform on top. And I'm trying to figure out how this prevents raccoons from, yeah. from getting it. Yeah, sure. So let's include a, a picture of your wrapped hives since you went into so much detail on how sure. you're doing that. I can also include a picture, uh, lift the lid, and show you what the moisture quilt looks like, too, to clarify oh, that picture, too. That'd be great. Yeah. And we will be sure to include that in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, along with this podcast. Um, okay, you said a, you said something in the podcast, and I must know where this comes from because I'm a lifelong Washingtonian, born, uh-huh. born and bred Pacific Northwesterner. Mm-hmm. You said, we don't tan, we rust. <laughs> What is that? <laughs> Where does that come from? It's just something that I made up. When I I lived in Phoenix, Arizona for several years and everybody commented on how pale I was because, you know, I was from Washington and I, I told them that there were summers that I could get tan there, but if we got tan it was usually so rainy that if we did tan it was usually rust. <laughs> so okay. we don't tan, we rust. <laughs> in Washington we don't tan, we rust. Yeah. And, and you know, in some ways it gets the same effect and uh, the color <laughs> tone the color palette um feral colony you're, mm-hmm. you're hoping to catch a feral colony this, this concept escapes me a little bit mm-hmm. are there colonies just buzzing around or is this a colony that has had a failure or been scared off from somewhere it's going to be a combination of both there are native honeybees here mm-hmm. and their species differs very slightly from what we bring in from the european honeybee Um, But we do have, you know, the honeybee has been in our country so long that they have over the years become feral, just like cats do or birds or anything else that at one time were domesticated or harvested for whatever purpose. And the feral colonies are, it's going to be either a colony that's been away for a while and maybe an escaped queen that started a new hive and they swarmed because the tree was too small. Or it could be just a true native feral colony that's just evolved over time. We want a feral colony. They're a stronger, they create a good hybrid so that when they breed in and out, when that queen... They must be very strong. They are because of our weather being so volatile. So what will happen is when that queen takes her nuptial flight, 
And when the new queen hatches out, she will be bred by the drones from both types of bees if you have all those colonies together because that's a free-for-all for all of the drones. And it's really a survival of the fittest game, you know, because yeah. the drone gives up his life to impregnate that that queen bee, meaning that when you can put together a domesticated stock with a wild stock, you're breeding in qualities that make them more uh, compatible for our climate and the changes that we deal Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's interesting. Um, where would these where would these feral colonies? Uh, what I know from beekeeping, and I and I appreciate that they're out in the wild. Bear with me, folks. Maybe <laughs> we'll get a, a joke out of this, but I'm going to be a little silly here. Mm -hmm. Are they in like eaves of barns? Are they in trees? Where where do these feral colonies set up? I am going up north and doing a carve out, which is where it's a feral colony that probably is about eight feet wide and six feet tall, and wow. it's nested in a wall. It's been there for years. And so that one's been there a long time. So in I'm going to go in a barn. In a barn wall. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, so they yeah, can. They, they find these structures mm -hmm. that work as their as their hive that you right. create as a beekeeper. Yeah. And it just naturally. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I actually knew somebody at one time that um, their hive was in his shed. He mm -hmm. purposely put it in the walls. Sure. It was kind of interesting. He had a little plexiglass enclosures to oh, see them and to, yeah. you know, access the, uh, the different levels. I would yeah. Imagine. <clears throat> cool. <laughs> okay. So we got that. Let's get, let's get to our first listener comment. Okay. Um, it's from Paul. I am so interested in honeybees. Thank you for your podcast. You're welcome. I don't have time to nurture a hive, but I'm going to work on advocacy this winter. I'll keep listening. Paul. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's neat, and I, I think Paul is in the same vein as myself, where there just is not possible in life. Mm -hmm. I've, I've got, um, I know I've got, what are those bees, uh, sorry, I have to keep asking, what are those bees called that aren't honeybees? Oh, yeah, the mason bees. The mason bees. I know I've got mason mm -hmm. bees in my neighborhood, and I did my Russian, giant Russian sunflower garden, yes. right, mm -hmm. as advocacy, but, or ad, to help the honeybees. Advocacy is another important one, whether you're going to groups or posting your own, you know, warnings about bees mm -hmm. and trying to bring people to look at this issue. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be a stellar star beekeeper. You can no. just get out there and help spread the word. Very true. I mean, and that's the whole thing. It's just, you know, every little voice together combined, it's kind of like the 12th man, you know, you, yeah. you, how many people contribute, how many individuals contribute to make that sound and that roar. We can do the same thing for bees. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, for uh, the final question mm -hmm. uh, and first question, this is actually very, this is directly related to your podcast. Uh, it's from Jannie, mm -hmm. um, and she read your blog. Patty, I read your blog. I'm sunk with the quick fall. How do you maintain a full-time job and keep a flexible and reactive schedule with your hives? Well, what's beautiful about bees is you check them every couple of weeks. So you can just manage that around the day you have off. Um, and weather doesn't always afford you the best window of opportunity. So you just kind of have to seize the moment in that day. You have to, it is forcing me to be a little more uh, flexible in what I do with my time off. Uh, I do work a full-time job. I'm a health coach on the side. I do a lot of things. And mm -hmm. so I tend to fill my space. Busy people get things done. That's just what I do. Yeah. But it also, um, it forces me to have to really look at the day. And when I get up and have my coffee, the bees are right. See them right out of my window. And I have to look at them and I got to be mindful. And Jenny, the best thing I can say is for you to just 
really give yourself a break and make that maybe a self-care moment to where that you can get out there because not a lot of people are going to want to hang out with you when you're near those bees. I promise you. They, uh, that's your time to afford self-time, self-care so you can get into thought and they teach you so much. Just their sound can be very calming. So it becomes kind of a something you, uh, you would desire it almost like a vitamin supplement. It, it makes you feel good. So you'll you'll make more time for something. It can become a priority very quickly. I've um, that's wonderful advice. I I was having a tough time about a year and a half ago, and I started meditating each morning. I would come down to the podcast studio. I'd put on you know some ohm chants, you mm-hmm. know ocean sounds, and turn out the lights and stretch mm-hmm. and meditate. And so it was multitasking and the fact that I was uh, doing these wonderful physical things for my body, but it was also just trying to escape all the realities. Right. Um, so you're, you're kind of saying, Hey, make, make your bees part of your wellness, part of your meditative mm-hmm. moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if I was, if I'm going to interpret kind of what Jenny said and <clears throat> excuse me, it's uh, it is the fall here in it Washington. Is. We're dealing with it. Um, if I were, if I were going to interpret something she said and something that you said in the podcast that wasn't in the blog, you got mice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wanted to not get mice. Uh, mm-hmm. in that, was that because of that quick fall? You didn't have the mouse guards in place right. yet? Yeah. So, so where she says, I'm sunk, you kind of were sunk as well mm-hmm. at some sure. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't... In other words, working your full-time job, the weather came, you didn't get the mouse guards in place at the right time to prevent getting mice, but darn it, you, you, you got out there, you got rid of the mice, you put mm-hmm. the mouse guards on. So I think that... What it is is you have to maintain both and trust that you're going to be able to react and be adaptive mm-hmm. in the solutions you come up with. You got to be prepared too. You got to have things ready. It's so interesting how much I see. I, I know you work um, in a corporation. Mm-hmm. How much I see beekeeping. Uh, you know, and I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own businesses, and I think very entrepreneurial. And really, as an entrepreneur, you're just a aggressive problem solver. Okay, you're a bold problem solver. And I see that in beekeeping. Yeah. So much of beekeeping, a lot of the traits and um, um, aspects to it that I see are very entrepreneurial. And I, yeah. I guess, you know, people end up, uh, it's probably they're, they're already born for it. Once they get their bees and next thing you know, they're either getting out in the community and giving <laughs> their honey to the co-op or yeah. selling their honey and they've got their little honey stand. Sure. Um, but it's a very entrepreneurial adventure. I see from the, yeah. you have to manage yourself. No, you do. No one, the bees don't come and knock and Mm-mm. say, Hey, we got a mouse in the house. No, they'll just leave. Yeah. So, so it's very entrepreneurial in the way that nobody, uh, that there's not, not a boss over your shoulder telling you when and what to do. You've got to do it on your own. Right. And it does require self-motivation and it, um, I think beekeeping kind of forces you into it by default. No, I don't think any beekeeper thought that was the process when they started because it looked like, oh, I'm going to throw together a beehive and get some honey at the end of the year. Cool. You know, that's where a lot of people, the hobby beekeepers, because that's a very romantic picture when you see, you know, what people do with honey and stuff like that. But there's a lot of work involved, you know, if you're when you're collecting honey, maintaining a hot room to keep it flowing so you can don't lose any honey to waste, you know, and or you're not scraping. You're a sticky mess. You've got to deal with being messy. You've got to deal with having to do damage control. You've got to anticipate disaster. You've got to be prepared to work around it. And you cannot quit 
because if you quit on them, they're, they're going to leave you and you're going to lose anyway. And then you're going to have all this stuff sitting around a big reminder that you chose to not continue and it's on you. So it does create, it, it generates a level of accountability and I think it builds character. I do. I think most beekeepers are people of pretty good character when it comes to their passion for the bees. You know, there's always that small sliver of people out there that are doing it for the wrong reasons. But that's true with any industry. But as a, as a general rule, if you go to any beekeeping association, people care. I mean, they are losing sometimes a lot in a storm or whatever. And they're rebuilding anyway. And they're going to rebuild it. Because you see all the time about kids that are messing around that have destroyed 600 hives thinking it's funny and we lose millions of bees and they're going to prosecute. Well, that all is good, but that beekeeper is left with the damage. Yeah. And they have to rebuild. So you learn to do that because the bees rebuild all the time. And that's probably the biggest lesson is they just, they have a lot of fortitude. They don't quit and their resilience is incredible. All right. They don't quit and the resilience is incredible. Mm -hmm. Stick around because Patty will be back for the next episode of the Honey Bee My Teacher podcast because, dang it, she's resilient and she's going to stick around That's just right. like those honeybees. Yeah. I am so grateful to have shared my love of the honeybee with you. I have so much more to share as we all grow in knowledge to save the honeybee, which will ultimately save us. This podcast is brought to you by Smoke and Jays and SmokeandJays.com. Use coupon code HONEY for 15% off your next order and all orders over $100 ship for free. I'd like to thank my producer, Jay Fratt, for bringing my love for honeybees to the podcast format. He has his own podcast called The Conservative Hippie, which is available on all podcast platforms. Just go to theconservativehippie.com. Visit me at honeybeemyteacher.com to connect with me and enjoy all the buzz about our amazing little friends. Let's be social. All of my social media links are available in the show notes. Please email me anytime at bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. So until we meet again, be mindful, be thankful, and most of all, be kind.